Hello. Welcome to worship. Leslie and I are uh, obviously not in worship with you. Actually, as today, Leslie will be in with you in worship. But uh, right now, it's Monday. We are out in the high desert of Phoenix and actually Arizona. Yesterday, we were in California. As a matter of fact, yesterday, we were, it was so high in the desert. And it was so dry out there. We were at a place where um, General Patton used to train the troops for those who were going out into desert warfare during World War II. But we've been out here on behalf of First Christian Church, uh, working in some Disciple Heritage Fellowship settings, and we're very glad that uh, you've sent us on our way to do this. We're looking for, I'm looking forward to being back with you in just a few days. Leslie will be with you in worship today. It's all good stuff. Leslie has a passage of scripture for you today. I wanted to read to you from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 18. It says, I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Wayne and I have met some incredible pools of waters, the springs, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are truly bringing the love, the life, the water of the word to a parched people. And uh, we are excited to share that with you um, in the days ahead. So thanks for letting us be here and ministering on your behalf. Hope you have a great day and God bless you. All right, so um, DHF, as you heard Pastor Wayne mention in that video, stands for Disciple Heritage Fellowship. It's uh, if you were unable to be with us during our annual State of the Church uh, service a few weeks ago, talked about how um, we have taken the helm of a ministry uh, with about 90 other churches, uh, just helping them move from, you might say, just surviving to really thriving in their context. And so uh, Pastor Wayne and Leslie have been visiting with those churches out west. Uh, Wayne continues here this week, but we'll be back with us next week, and I look forward to hearing some of the good things that he's up to. Um, other than that, if uh, you're new with us, I'm also one of the pastors here. My name's Brian, and really glad that you guys are able to be with us here today, and hope you're able to make yourself at home. Uh, for all of us, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible with you of your own, uh, then you should be able to find one there in that pew rack in front of you here in this room, or in the East Auditorium. There's some folks walking around with some that you can use, and in either setting, if you don't have a Bible of your own, let's call that one yours uh, to take home as your own. And so as you turn there... <clears throat> And we look at the book of Mark today about really the account of Jesus' life and ministry and who Jesus was. I think about, I guess you could say like if you were to ask maybe the average person on the street of uh, the question of you, well, who do you think Jesus is or who do you think Jesus was? That I would imagine the responses to be quite varied uh, as to people's impression of who Jesus was and is. Uh, for some, I think you might, in reality, uh, discover what, what I would call uh, fire extinguisher Jesus, uh, meaning like he's just kind of over here hanging on the wall in case of emergency, you know, but if everything's fine, then he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And for some, I think that's who Jesus is. Maybe for others, uh, they see Jesus as maybe this genie Jesus, where if you say just the right prayer, just the right way, you know, he'll grant all your wishes and he's here to... To do, to do that, maybe, I don't know. Um, for others, I think there's a, a perception or a perspective that Jesus is the, you could say, the judge, jury, and executioner Jesus, who is, you know, he just here to show his hate towards certain groups of people and that those certain groups are going to go to hell. Uh, maybe on the other extreme, uh, the very, I guess definitely other extreme, would be what I call uh, hippie and happy Jesus. You know, it's, uh, you know, hey, not just come as you are, but you can just stay as you are. You don't really have to change anything. You know, whatever's cool with you is cool with me. And just, we're all happy all the time. And so as you think about maybe these different perceptions of who people might think Jesus was and is, it's kind of hard not to come to the conclusion that 
somebody, or maybe even everybody, is wrong to some extent. Like, it can't all possibly be right. And as we look back 2,000 years ago, when Jesus actually physically showed up in the scene in uh, the book of Mark, in reality, they were actually facing some of those same challenges as to who this Jesus was. Because everybody, uh, probably similar to our day, had an idea, um, you could say a preconceived plan of who they thought this Jesus was supposed to be, you know, what he should do, what he should stand for, what he should be about, how he should minister. And we see um, that people misunderstood who this Jesus was and why he came. I think in fairness, while it might be easy for us to maybe you know, shake our heads or wag our finger at you know, maybe people who are, have these you know, kind of extreme versions of Jesus maybe out there, or maybe even looking at the people of scripture and saying, you know, hey, you had Jesus like right there in the flesh with you. Like, how did you miss it? Uh, I think in fairness, it's important that we recognize our, our own missings in, in this, that um, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably do a little bit of the same thing that, you know, maybe you sit across the table from someone with coffee and you say, you know, I think God is like fill in the blank. Or, you know, maybe even in our small groups, you know, as we sit around and we, we start to talk, we might say, well, you know, for me, I think Jesus really is. And we can slip into this ideas, thoughts, opinions, desires, wishes of who Jesus should be from our perspective. But in the end, in all honesty, and I don't mean to be harsh, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean it, it doesn't matter what you or I think, wish, or want Jesus to be. The only thing that matters is who Jesus actually is. That's, that's all that matters, is who Jesus actually is, and thus, that's what our pursuit is, is to discover who he actually is, versus just maybe brainstorming who we think he should be, or could be, or would be. I appreciate the way Pastor Timothy Keller puts it. Uh, he says it this way, recognizing that in our culture, over the last two decades, uh, there has been an explosion in the interest of spirituality. Everybody's interested in Jesus, but on their own terms. He goes on. And yet here's the irony. A Jesus you shape, a Jesus you make up that fits into your desires, a Jesus of your own, ironically, can't really change you, can't really transform you because a Jesus that you make up can't challenge you, can't contradict you. Why? Because he's just you. He's just you. You made him. Voltaire, the 17th century philosopher, uh, actually in his criticism against Christians, says it this way. In the beginning, God created man in his own image. And man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. And so last week, we started a series entitled Misunderstood, uh, Jesus According to Mark, where the author, in reporting um, the uh, eyewitness accounts of Jesus' interactions, his life teaching and ministry, reveals several encounters of, you could say, misunderstandings of who this Jesus was and is. And that through those misunderstandings, the author, Mark, is revealing to us, the reader, the benefit of being able to then accurately understand then who this Jesus is. And so last week we set the stage looking at Mark chapter one, uh, where we said we wanted to put on these lenses that Mark gives us at the, at the introduction of his book to really understand who Jesus is in the context in which we're gonna understand uh, all the chapters to come. In fact, the first verse 
really paves the way for every other verse we're gonna see in uh, the book of Mark. Verse one of chapter one of Mark says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So Mark is saying this whole book, everything I'm writing to you is all about this good news of Jesus, who, by the way, the good news of, that Jesus is gonna proclaim is in fact Jesus himself, that he is uh, fully God, fully human, and king who has come to bring his kingdom ways into our world that we get to be a part of should we accept and believe and put our faith in what the reality of verse one says, that we believe that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to forgive and save us from our sin and be the Lord and leader of our lives. And so with that stage set, in Mark chapter two, we, we take a, 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 a deeper dive looking at how people responded to this message, how various groups responded to why Jesus says he came and again, some of the misunderstandings that take place for our benefit so that we can understand who Jesus was, and who he actually still is. So with that, I invite you to join the story with me, reading along in chapter two of Mark, picking up the story in verse 13. It says this, that once again, Jesus went, outside, went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All right. So what we see in this section of scripture are several audiences, four groups, you, you could say, and four different responses to who Jesus is and what Jesus is up to, and thus an opportunity for us to learn from each of them. The first group we're going to look at in the first response, uh, we could categorize uh, as you could say the opposition. We see the opposition in verse 16. It is, ironically, the religious leaders of the day, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious leaders who have a mu in their presence the, the ultimate religious leader, um, are really opposed to Jesus because they misunderstand what Jesus is up to. And so consequently, they oppose him. Um, and they oppose him with these questions. They say, uh, both in this setting and throughout Mark, you'll hear uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders saying, you know, why do you, or to his disciples, why does he, or to them both, you know, why do you and your disciples? And, and it's not this like innocent, childlike, well, why do you do this? It's, it's definitely not a neutral, benign questioning of these religious leaders. It is, you could say, fully loaded. It is a, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are in this setting eating with these people? And what we see in this interaction and those interactions that will come is the revelation that these religious leaders are incredibly uncomfortable with Jesus' teachings and actions. That there's a discomfort that Jesus does not fit into their box, their religious box, their uh, often case man-made traditions, which Jesus will point out, that uh, is outside of their, their, their traditions. And as I think about 
that response, uh, the inability to recognize methods that might stand outside of a box or a tradition that um, a certain group of people are used to, and, and how that applies to us, um, I gotta say, I am thankful. I am thankful that as I think about the story of this church, that this year is actually 185 years old. We are 185 years old today. I mean, our church predates the Civil War. Uh, we had a building downtown that doubled as Lincoln's law office. It's just, it's amazing to think, how do you get to 185 years of legacy and counting? Well, we don't get there without those of you who have gone before my generation, and I would say even the generation ahead of mine, those of you who went before us and said, okay, there's some, while the message will never change, there are some methods that will shift in order to reach the next generation. That if it wasn't for you, my generation and the ones to come would not be able uh, to, through different methods, outside of maybe a tradition that we're used to, continue to push forward the message of Jesus Christ in new ways. Um, it's, it's funny, I just think about, you know, to you generation, you said, okay, I will leave my hymnal in the pew. You all can, you know, flash your fancy graphics and your fancy lyrics on the screens. You go ahead and you play your guitars and you bang on me drum all day and you do whatever it takes to reach the next generation. I think of a story of uh, one of my former professors at Milligan, uh, Milligan, not Milliken, I know it's confusing. Uh, Milligan's a school in Tennessee, but uh, Dr. Leroy Lawson, was a gentleman in his 70s who was, um, he's actually guest preaching at this other church where he was sitting behind a, a lady who was also in her 70s while the youth band was leading worship that day. And Dr. Leroy Lawson, he said he leaned over to this, this elderly lady and said, um, do you like this music? To which she responded, no, I hate it. But then, with a big smile on her face, said, but I love those kids. Uh, some of you might have been here in the early 2000s when uh, Pastor Tom Sager served as one of our associate pastors. He shared the story of interacting with one of our senior saints about some of the changes and methods that we were uh, embarking on. And it was pretty clear it was not her cup of tea, but she said this to Pastor Tom. She said, but whatever it takes to reach my grandson. I almost heard a full amen out of that one. Hey. There it is. Yeah, whatever it takes to reach my grandson, whatever it takes to reach the next generation. So I'm thankful that, as a, that in difference, in, in, in contrast to the opposition of the Pharisees, I'm thankful to be part of a church uh, uh, that includes a generation who went before us that said, whatever it takes to reach my grandson, whatever it takes to reach the next generation, who would say, but I love those kids. Thankful to be part of that reality in this church as opposed to the Pharisees who couldn't get past their methods in order to move the message of Jesus, the message of God in that case, forward through Jesus, okay? So that's our first group, that's our first group. The second group uh, that we see responding to Jesus, uh, both in this story and throughout Mark, uh, you could say categorically is the crowd. We see the crowd, verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And so we see these crowds, or I think another way we could understand the crowds, maybe in our modern context would be, we'd say this is the fan base. These are the fans of Jesus. And a fan, a simple dictionary definition, you could say is just simply an enthusiastic admirer. A fan 
is an enthusiastic admirer. Uh, growing up, I was a fan. I was an enthusiastic admirer of uh, the baseball player Nolan Ryan. Huge fan of Nolan Ryan. He was, uh, he was a pitcher that um, he was known as the, uh, the, the Ryan Express because of his ability to throw 100-mile-an-hour fastballs still into his, his 40s. Uh, he has the all-time uh, record for most strikeouts. He has uh, the most uh, no-hitters than any other pitcher. It's seven in his career. I think four is the next behind that. Uh, he was one of only two players to have his jersey retired by three separate uh, MLB teams, the Astros, the Angels, and the Rangers. Uh, and, and if you knew him, he was, he was like tough as nails. And he grew up on a ranch in Texas. He was just tough. And uh, I, one of my favorite stories uh, about him was, um, and some of you might remember this story or even saw this game, when uh, the Rangers and uh, the White Sox faced off in 1993. Uh, Ryan beamed... Uh, Robin Ventura with a, with a fast pitch to which Robin Ventura at the age of 26 uh, decided to take off at the mound to the 46-year-old then, Nolan Ryan. And before Ventura even gets a swing in, Nolan Ryan has him in a headlock and you could say knocking some sense into this 26-year-old punk for coming at him on the mound. And so I was, I was an enthusiastic admirer. I was a fan. And to really commemorate my fanship as a kid, uh, I, I had a couple of businesses. Um, I, not a business. I had a lawn mowing business and a, a paper route, uh, which I actually did pretty decent. I could have saved up a good bit of money, but instead chose to trade in all of my American currency for the currency of, you could say, two by three cardboard pictures of baseball players. I traded all my American currency to, I made dad's dugout some American currency as the name of the place for, uh, for baseball cards. And I spent a lot of that money on individual uh, cards of just Nolan Ryan. I wouldn't buy the patch, just find the Nolan Ryans and I would just buy Nolan Ryan after Nolan Ryan after Nolan Ryan after Nolan Ryan because I loved Nolan Ryan. And so I got some of my cards to show off for you today. I told my dad, I'd be like looking up, remember Beckett Magazine? I was like, dad, this, this, this card's worth you know, $37 to which my dad always reminded me. Son, it's worth as much someone is willing to pay for it. It's not worth any more than that. And so um, I got my Nolan Ryan uh, member's choice card, uh, Top Stadium Club, remember those? Mine, f- when he reached 5,000 strikeouts, uh, Nolan Ryan record breaker, all his records. Look at this one, yeah. Upper Deck Baseball Hero. Uh, oh, Upper Deck Community Hero. What a guy, Community Hero. I mean, just gotta love some Nolan Ryan. And then Nolan Ryan was so popular at the time that they actually came out with a whole set of baseball card packages that just had Nolan Ryan in them. You could buy Nolan Ryan packages of baseball cards. So of course I had to get the whole set of those. And then once I got the whole set, I decided, hey, if you know anything about baseball cards, the unopened packages are worth a whole lot more than the open ones. And so I've got several packages of unopened Nolan Ryan baseball cards, 25 cents. I don't say anything, 25 cents. That's great. Uh, so, anyway, um, thank you for sharing in my childhood. I'm ruining my cards. They're not mint condition because I just put those here so they don't get hurt. Okay. So they'll be all right. They'll be all right. Thanks, Timothy. All right. So, needless to say, I was a fan. I am a fan of Nolan Ryan. But am I a follower of Nolan Ryan? I mean, does Nolan Ryan shape my values? Does he determine the trajectory of my life? Does he give me the direction I need to go in the living of my life? Does, does Nolan Ryan define why I am on the planet? Well, no, because I'm just a fan, not a follower. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, when it comes to Jesus, am I really a follower or am I actually just a fan? Because it's subtle, because at first a fan can be pretty impressive. You know, they can have all the cards, you know, today you might, uh, a fan is the, is the guy who, I mean, he'll, he'll go out in 17 uh, below weather to the football game wearing as a shirt, nothing more than that which he painted on that morning. I mean, that's a fan, right? Uh, a fan is the guy who has like his basement man cave filled with autographed jerseys of his favorite team. A fan is the guy who can rifle off all the players, rifle off all the stats. Um, and, and at first, pretty impressive. He, he appears to be all in. But in actuality, aside from cheering, there really isn't anything required of him. You know, he doesn't have to wake up early to get to practice. You know, a fan never has to break a sweat. A fan never has to make a sacrifice. And so really a fan and its enthusiastic admiration lasts really about as long as the season, then hops off the fan wagon until the next season rolls around. And so what we see in Jesus is a consistent and constant calling within the crowds to say, okay, I see you guys are fans, I see the crowds, I see you're enjoying the healings and the miracles and the teachings, but are you all in? Are you really all in? Are you really willing to move from just being a fan to actually being my follower? Author and pastor Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan, which is where this illustration comes from, he paints the difference this way. He says, my concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week, all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus, but have no interest in truly following him. He goes on. The biggest threat to the church today is fans. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians, but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They wanna be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. And so, you know, when we think about that phrase of being a fan, you know, it's, it, it, we, we use it in a setting like, okay, maybe you went to some restaurant and you're like, ah, not a fan, not a fan. But what if we spun that and said, okay, what if we were willing to recognize, okay, Jesus, not a fan, because I'm actually a follower, because you're actually a follower. I was sharing some of these thoughts with our um, with the pastors, and I got an email kind of exchanged back and forth with uh, where Pastor Thomas, uh, who works with our, our young adults as well as our, our worship department, uh, he replied in a way that I thought summed it up pretty well. And so um, I just stole it and uh, <laughs> read it to you because it was so good. Uh, but he does. So he was thinking about you know in working with his students. You know, he said to the student who wears the Jesus jersey on Sunday but it's not part of the wardrobe Monday through Saturday, that's a fan. But the person who actually plays on Jesus' team, that's a follower. One who just sits in the pew, fan. But one who serves and does ministry is a follower. Those who place, quote, a tip in the offering plate for, quote, worship services rendered is a fan. Those who sacrificially give for the sake of the kingdom, that's a follower. So those who invite friends because they think their buddy might like coming to church, that could be a fan. 
but those who are inviting their friends to church so they can experience the forgiveness and a relationship with Jesus is following. Those who live a, a double life, you know, in Jesus, it talk, he talks about duplicity, uh, two-faced in James, you know, that there is no duplicity within you, that those who live a double life with no repentance, that's a fan. But one who lives no double life, and when it comes to sin, brings those sins into the light through repentance, that is a follower. And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, are we maybe in certain categories of our life saying, you know what, I'm not following. I'm, I'm just a fan. I need to move and trust God's Holy Spirit to push us forward into becoming just part of the crowd, being just a fan, and truly following Jesus in every area of our life. Which brings us to our next group we see in Mark, and that is those who are his followers. That's the third group, the disciples, the true followers of Jesus. And as we think about, man, okay, it sounds like it's gonna take some commitment, some faith, some sacrifice to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe at first blush, you're like, you know, who, who among us is qualified? It sounds like I gotta be like a green beret for Jesus in order to be one of his followers. Like, who among us is qualified to become a follower of Jesus? Well, we see in this passage, according to Jesus, none of us. But at the same time, all of us. Look again at verse 14. It says that as Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Okay, so as we look at Levi here in this setting, we have to really to understand the degree at which he's gone from just being a fan to a follower of Jesus uh, is to understand the, the chasm at which he's covered in order to move from where he was to where he now is. You see, a tax collector in those days, in a nutshell, would have been uh, the modern day equivalent of like a loan shark. Uh, and then you could add to that the idea of a traitor, someone who'd be committing espionage and, and treason and, and tr like a traitor against your own people because as a Jewish tax collector, his role would have been to have betrayed his own people to work for the enemy, the imperial government, who was he now an agent of cheating and stealing uh, from his own people. And so he was the most despised of the despised as a Jewish tax collector because he was trading against his own people to cheat and steal them for the sake of the imperial government in that setting. And so we look at this lowest of the low and who does Jesus call? It's him. He calls Levi, who for the full trajectory of that story is later called Matthew, Levi or Matthew, which is the same Matthew that stands alongside John, Luke, and Mark, as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who would pen the words of Jesus' life, teaching, and ministry for the benefit of generations to come. That's who Jesus not just calls, but uses it for the sake of his glory and kingdom and all by his power when he calls all of us to follow him. And so who is that all of us? We see it right here, that fourth and final group. Who's worthy? None of us. Because we are all, as it says, sinners called to follow him. So that's that fourth and final group. Look again at verse 16. It says that when the teachers of the law, uh, who were the Pharisees, so we got the opposition again, saw him eating, saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
Thus, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, thinking about this, uh, illustration of Jesus, you know, with, with us, we're, we're in the season around here where, you know, flu and sickness is everywhere. And I've heard people say on more than one occasion, like, hey, if you want to stay healthy, stay out of the hospitals. It's filled with sick people. You know, and, and I think um, actually this past Tuesday, um, our family was visiting uh, a family friend in the hospital and the kids had made like little cards and gifts and things like that. And uh, it was pretty funny. Uh, my wife having no idea I was talking about this, uh, gives this speech to our kids as we're walking into the hospital. Say, okay, kids, you don't touch anything other than what you are already touching right now. Once you've handed that off, your hands go in your pockets and they do not remove from your pockets until you have been removed from the hospital. And so we're standing in the elevator and I snap this uh, reality that they're living, so. <laughs> and so I get it, you know, I get it. But I, I started thinking about this passage and the reality, like, you know, and for those of you who, you know, and thanks be to God for you, who are nurses and doctors and surgeons and, uh, you know, support staff at our hospitals, like, what if, like, that was your approach? What if you're like, you know what? Jesus got a good point. I think I'm just gonna start hanging out with only healthy people. You know, we'd be in a world of hurt because as Jesus obviously says, we need you. It is not the healthy who need the doctor, it's those of us who, who are sick who need a doctor. And thus Jesus says that in the same way, illustratively, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And you can understand righteous, that could be like, as we would say, like air quotes here, Jesus is being very sarcastic because there is no one righteous outside of him. There is no one righteous, it says in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. And so Jesus has not come to call the righteous because there are none, but all of us who are sinners. And so again, who of us is worthy to follow Jesus? Well, none of us are. But through Jesus' sacrifice, all of us are. We are all able as it says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's the good news. That's those lenses. That's the good news of the king and his kingdom who has come for the forgiveness and the freedom of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead our lives that we talk about celebrating in baptism because 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become not sinners, but become the righteousness of God. And that's what you are. That's what that verse goes on and says, and that's what you are. Um, this passage uh, here in Matthew where Jesus says, I've come to call not righteous, but sinners was uh, part of our audio devotion uh, this past week. And uh, hopefully you're able to check those out and participate in those. And if you're not clear what I'm talking about last week, we uh, rolled out uh, in an effort to give extra attention this Easter season to our relationship with Jesus leading up to Easter. The worship and discipleship team worked together to uh, put together these audio devotions uh, for you to um, spend about 10 minutes a, a week going through and, and just hearing the word of, of the Lord and, and reflecting and thinking and asking questions of yourself and praying through what are the implications of that. And, uh, this pa and if you wanna be a part of that, you can text 24587, don't text that, text First Decatur to 24587 if you're not already getting those, or you can go to firstdecatur.org slash misunderstood and you can get those audio devotions for yourself. Uh, but this past week uh, in the audio devotion, the prayer prompt at the conclusion of uh, this passage was this. It said to 
Spend some time in prayer, thanking Jesus that even though you are a sinner, he invites you by name to follow him, to become the righteousness of God. And so as we think about all these audiences, all these responses, and what we're all trying to do to move from fanship to followership, um, it's appropriate that we would conclude um, this understanding from the words of Jesus. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It is the sick, and in the same way, it's us who have sinned who need his righteousness. Uh, That an appropriate response to that would be to give thanks for how that was made possible. And so um, in light of the same opportunity maybe you took advantage in the audio devotion. I just want to give us a few moments here just in the quietness of your own seat uh, to spend some time just thanking God that yes, even though we're broken, sinners, messed up, that God still calls us and through the work of his Holy Spirit um, works that out for us. And so let's pray giving thanks to, to Jesus for that reality. Heavenly Father, through your son Jesus, we give you thanks that you um, tell us come as we are and you invite us as we are. But we also give you thanks that you love us enough not to leave us that way. So Father, wherever it is in our lives that we are in the fan category, Um, We know that the best way of life is the way that you laid out, and we want to follow that. And so God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, not our own strength, would you move us forward into becoming more fully devoted followers of your son, Jesus, uh, in these areas that you have brought to mind as we are thankful, but at the same time, uh, challenged by what you've called us to be and to do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. Amen.